Please turn with me in your Bibles to the 14th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark. Mark 14. Everything that Jesus has lived for is now ready to play out in his death. Before that actually happens, he must spend one last extraordinary evening with his disciples. Jesus' sacrificial atoning death is less than one day away. For Jews in the ancient world, and still for Jews today, the Passover meal was and is an annual feast that commemorated a defining moment in the history of Israel. More than a thousand years before Jesus' time, the Jewish people had been enslaved to Egypt's Pharaoh in what turned out to be an incredibly miserable bondage. God raised up Moses to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, knowing that the Pharaoh would not let them go unless, as Exodus 3.19 puts it, unless he was compelled by a mighty hand. So God sent nine plagues upon Egypt to loosen up the Pharaoh's oppressive grip, but he still resisted. And one night, God sent the final tenth plague. He drew his own sword of justice, and this justice would fall on everyone. God's holy justice could not pass over the Jews simply because they were Jews. In every home in Egypt of Jews and an Egyptian, someone would die under the wrath of divine justice. The only way to escape for your family was to put your faith in God's sacrificial provision. That meant that you had to slay a lamb and put the blood on the doorframe of the entrance door to your home. And you did that as a sign of your faith in God. In every home that night, there would be a dead child or a dead lamb. When justice came down, either it fell on your family or you took shelter under the substitute, under the blood of the lamb. If you did accept this shelter, then death passed over you and you were saved. That's why it's called Passover. You were saved on the basis of faith in a substitutionary sacrifice. And this is how God delivered the Israelites and led them into freedom, finally into the promised land. Every year, the Passover meal commemorated this deliverance, and it's called the Exodus, which obviously had been the most important event in the life of Israel as a nation and as a people. But even knowing the story of this deliverance, there is still a question 
that most people ask. Why would the sacrifice of a little lamb exempt you from the justice of the Almighty Holy God? The answer comes in what happens when Jesus and his disciples celebrate the Passover. If you're able, would you please stand as I read chapter 14, beginning at verse 12. But you're going to notice that I stop at verse 16 and then skip a few verses and then go to verse 22 through 25. That's because this morning we're just going to deal with the Passover meal itself. The next time we're in Mark, we'll deal with Judas's betrayal and Peter's leading of the troops and saying they're not going to fall away. So starting at verse 12 of Mark 14. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he'd told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came and the, with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Going down to verse 22. As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, verse 12 starts out with, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Mentioned here is another feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Well, that feast and the Passover combined to make an eight-day celebration that began with the Passover. Both feasts commemorated the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage. We might be going, well, how? How is, how is that combined? Unleavened bread was what the Israelites were to take with them as they left Egypt. And the 
point there is that they would be leaving in a hurry, in a hurry. And in Scripture, leaven represents influence, usually evil influence. It is yeast which makes or influences bread to do what? To rise and become soft. So taking unleavened bread in their exit from Egypt was a picture of leaving behind all the evil influences of their Egyptian rulers. They were not to take with them any remnants of leavened bread that they'd prepared in Egypt. So part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which included Passover, was to remove all leaven from their houses. There was a big set of of the rules about how to do this to make sure that every bit of it was gone. They were removing the leaven and supposed to eat only unleavened bread for the whole time of the feast. The Passover feast's main emphasis, as already mentioned, was the killing of an unblemished sacrificial lamb, which was then roasted and eaten during the Passover meal. Now, this commemorated the lamb that was killed by each family in Egypt, the blood of which was spread on the doorframe of the house. The Lord passed over each house in which the blood covered the entrance door. Those homes without the blood of the lamb covering their home's entrance suffered the death of their firstborn, both man and beast. In Exodus 12, 13, we read, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. After the Lord had struck all the firstborn in Egypt and passed over those whose homes were covered by the lamb's blood, the Egyptians, to say the least, were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, which is what we read in Exodus 12:33. They wanted the Jewish people out, gone, gone fast, and the faster the better. So much destruction. We see in verses 12 through 16 of our text, the disciples preparing this Passover meal. Jesus tells them where to go, who to look for, who to talk to, And what to do to prepare. Did you notice that? Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? 
So he sent two of his disciples and said, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Now many have pointed out that that isn't quite as strange a request as many think, because only the women in this culture carried these huge water jars. But still, it's a very specific instruction by the Lord. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of that house, the teacher says, where's my guest room and where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city, followed these strange instructions, but they knew better by now, and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. What's the important point? Of these instructions. It's simply that we see Jesus in charge of what was happening. He was not just going with the flow at the mercy of time and circumstances, he was in charge. Jesus was preparing to be a willing sacrifice. And he ordered the events even leading up to his arrest and more. That's important for us to recognize. Many times we just skip right over this and don't think about it. But we need to. This meal had to be prepared in a certain way. And it had a very distinct form. It included four points at which The person presiding over the meal stood and explained the feast's meaning. In other words, this was a family deal in each home. The father usually presided over it. There was questions and answers between the presiding person and especially the children. They knew it by heart. Four cups of wine represented the four promises made by God in Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7. This is one of those passages or texts that you ought to mark up in your Bible. The four promises are rescue from Egypt, freedom from slavery, redemption by God's divine power and a renewed relationship with God. Let's turn there. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Let me just read this. This is a passage about God promising deliverance. The Lord's instructions to Moses. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And, here's the first one, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now the second one, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And the third one, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And fourth, 
I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Powerful. The third cup came at a point when the meal was almost completely eaten. eaten. And the person presiding would use Deuteronomy 26 to bless the elements, the bread, the herbs, the lamb, etc. And he did that by explaining how they were symbolic reminders of various aspects of the early Israelites' captivity and deliverance. For example, showing the bread, the person presiding would say, this is the bread of our affliction, which our fathers ate in the wilderness. Now, Jesus was obviously presiding over this Passover meal in our text with his disciples. Look what Mark records when Jesus raised what was the third cup in verses 22 through 25. Notice, as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Now imagine the astonishment of the disciples who had been raised every year of their lives, eating this meal. They had it down, memorized. They knew what was coming. But they were astonished. Why? Because when Jesus was blessing the elements and explaining their symbolism, he then departs from the script that had been reenacted by generation after generation. He shows them the bread and said, this is my body. What does that mean? Jesus is saying, this is the bread of my affliction. What was the usual blessing? This is the bread of our affliction which our fathers ate in the wilderness. And now he's changed it. This is the bread of my affliction, of my suffering, because I'm going to lead the ultimate exodus and bring you the ultimate deliverance from bondage. Now in this class, Judas had already left. Leaven. How many do you think got that? We don't know, but according to their recent history, probably nobody yet. He did this knowing that all of a sudden when he rose, they'd get it. And they would be willing to die for the truth of what he's explaining. And then he took a cup, this cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it as they're wondering what he's going to do to this one. Wouldn't you be? 
And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So now they're even more astonished. These words mean that as a result of his soon-to-be death, which he had told them would happen over and over again. So maybe something's starting to stick, but probably not. In other words, he actually is going to be the substitutionary sacrifice. And because he himself is the sacrifice, there's now a new covenant between God and us. And the basis of this relationship is what? Jesus' own blood. My blood of the covenant. And when he announces that he will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when he meets us in the kingdom of God, what's he promising? Jesus is promising that he is unconditionally committed to us. This is an incredible promise. I'm going to bring you into the Father's arms. I'm going to bring you to the Feast of the King. And how do we know that this is actually a promise of Jesus? Well, there's something real interesting about this. In the biblical times in ancient Israel, when someone would say, I'm not going to eat or drink until I do whatever. You ever heard that? They were making an oath. What's our way of saying this? It doesn't mean nearly as much and is not really taken seriously. I'm going to do this even if it kills me. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to eat or drink until I do whatever He was making an oath to them. That's how it was viewed in this culture. It was an oath that was taken very seriously and was literally marked with blood. What do I mean? You know, there's a thread throughout Scripture. Everything's connected. And we already have an explanation for this. The oath meant that you were making a covenant which is a solemn relationship of obligation between you and someone else. This kind of covenant was established and sealed by killing an animal, cutting it in half, and then walking between the pieces or sprinkling the blood on you as you made the promise, both of which we see several times in the Old Testament. It was a way of saying what? If I do not fulfill my promise, may the blood, my blood be spilled. May I be cut in half. Remember the other patriarch who God made a covenant with and made this promise? Looking forward middle of the night, animals cut in two, laid like a gauntlet, and a flaming pot going between it. 
God made that promise. This is a way of saying it's that serious, fellas. How serious. Now, this may seem gory and repulsive, especially to some people in our culture. But we can't let that get in the way of God's promise. Can you think of any other promise that would be more vivid and unforgettable than something like that that actually meant something? And declaring, if I don't keep this promise, this is what's going to happen to me. This is God's covenant. It's binding. So it conveys an incredible promise to the person receiving it. Look at that again. I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it New in the kingdom of God. He's talking to 11 men who believe in him. Therefore, he's talking to everyone who has come to believe in him. We have looked many times at references to the Feast of the Lamb when we are with Jesus in glory and there's no more sin, there's no more tears, there's no more aches or pains. And in our culture, we do not look forward to the glory of heaven as believers like we should. The tougher things get in the world we live in, the more we will. Get a head start. Take these words seriously from our Lord here during this Passover meal, the institution of the Lord's Supper. So by these simple gestures of holding up the bread and the wine, And with these simple words of, this is my body, and this is my blood, what is Jesus saying? He is saying that all the earlier deliverances, the earlier sacrifices, all the lambs sacrificed during Passover meals since the first, all were pointing to him. The Passover lamb was sitting at this table or reclining at this table. And he got that across at some point. Just as the first Passover was observed the night before God redeemed the Israelites from slavery through the blood of the lambs, The Passover meal was eaten the night before 
God redeemed the world from sin and death through the blood of his son. The historic Passover meal, the historic Passover meal pointed forward to Jesus' sacrifice for the sins of his people. At the same time, it pointed this way. It remembered the, the deliverance from bondage, their bondage in Egypt. The same is true for this Passover meal. This Passover meal, the Lord's Supper now, was instituted to look backwards at Jesus' death, even though this is right before it. He knew this was going on. This would be what identifies the church, our regular meal. And even though it looks backward, what he just said that we just talked about, what did it declare that was actually looking forward? It looked backward at Jesus' death, but it looked forward to the time when he would come back as king of kings, lord of lords. So the Lamb of God was presiding over this Passover meal with his disciples. Now remember that John the Baptist identified him as such, the Lamb of God, remember? When Jesus began his, his ministry in John 1, verse 29, and in Isaiah 53, around verses 6, 7, and 12, we read this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb. He was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. At this meal, Jesus was declaring to his disciples, I'm the one that Isaiah and John spoke about. I'm the Lamb of God to which all the other lambs pointed. The Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. On the cross, Jesus got what we deserved. Our sin, guilt, and brokenness fell upon him. He loved us so much that he took divine justice on himself so that we could be what passed over forever. Don't forget that the first Passover meal was an actual meal. It wasn't enough that a lamb was slain and its blood put on the door frame. There were instructions, strict instructions. The lamb also had to be eaten. It had to be taken in. In the same way, the Lord's Supper is a way of taking in the death of Christ for yourself. 
appropriating it personally. Mark 14, 22, and as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, what? Take. This is my body. Take it. He lets us know that we have to take what he's doing for us. We have to actively receive it to be nourished by any meal. You have to eat it. Since the Jews celebrated Passover, each Passover with their own families, there's something else to consider here. Why was Jesus pulling the disciples out of their families and organizing a Passover meal without them? Now, we don't know who all was there, but every year at Passover, the whole nation tried to go to Jerusalem. And you're going, how could that happen? If you're asking that question, you've never been there. It's not very far anywhere there, even if you have to walk. The whole country would fit halfway between here and Lubbock. Well, let's answer that question. What was he creating? He was creating an altogether new family. And it's a neat way to see this. In which your brothers and sisters are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of you are finding this out. Many of you may be fearful to find this out. If you are, you're missing one of the biggest blessings in life of belonging to Christ because you belong also to all those who are in him. Finally, we've already mentioned, but the Lord's Supper points towards our future with Jesus. He was pointing out that his blood was poured out for many which actually makes our future and ultimate feast with him in glory possible. The Lord's Supper gives us a small but very real foretaste of that future, does it not? I don't know about you, but some of us are blessed with great imaginations. And some of us have to work hard to imagine anything. There's a big spectrum there. This one we ought to try hard. No matter what you're going through. If you know that you belong to the Lord, he wants you to try to realize what is promised to you. There will be a day when we are all together with millions of others down through history who have shed their blood for him themselves, who knew him. Every tongue, every race, all being able to communicate, 
all being able to worship at his throne, all being able to eat a glorious feast together. We can't even picture that, can we? And what will we be celebrating? Jesus, you're right. You're who you said you are. You did this for me. Look who's here. And we have eternity to explore every part of those blessings. And we have a meal that he's given us now. What is this? Hey, I'm, I'm there. I'm preparing a place for you. I just want you guys to remember, don't take it once a year. Don't take it once a quarter. He didn't say that. But he did say take it regularly. Why? Because we need to remember this. This is not something we just go through the motions. This is where we hang on to the blessings that he's promised us. This is where you look around and you go, Hey, fellow sinner, we're redeemed. He did it. It's not yay me. Yay him. Thank goodness for us. Thank him for us. And that's why we celebrate it. So let's do that. The Lord's Supper is not appointed primarily for our physical body. We've mentioned that already. He instituted it primarily for our souls, our hearts. Scripture teaches us that we receive true spiritual nourishment when we focus on and believe Christ. Now, as we sing, let the words of the hymn refresh and encourage your faith in the Lamb of God. These words... Reiterate. And by singing them, it's a way that you can say more than amen and praise the Lord. You can actually sing the words and we can do it together and praise our God. How he did come and was it the accepted atoning sacrifice and how he will come again as the King of Kings.